Hey guys, welcome back to our playground. It's your host, Ali Fan. I apologize for my sick voice. I feel like everyone around me is getting a cold and now I have one, so you know, fun times. Anyways, I'm feeling a little bit better, but I have to get this intro recorded, so here we are. Today on the show, we are joined by Cuban-American writer and podcast host Gabby Ulloa. I absolutely adore Gabby from a career and just life standpoint, and it makes me so happy that she took her time to come on the show and share her story. A storyteller at heart, Gabby left her position as assistant to the editor-in-chief at Architectural Digest to pursue freelance writing full-time. Her work is all about shining a light on stigmatized topics, and her podcast, Thoughts May Vary, alongside her co-host Meadow, focuses on stories and lessons all about the one thing that connects us all, mental health. She's also been featured in publications including The Local Optimist, one of my favorites, The New York Times, and Birdie. In this episode, Gabby talks about growing up in Miami, how her move to freelance has impacted her mental health, and her best career hacks. We also talk about what she hopes to see in the media moving forward. I'm just so excited about this episode because Gabby is one of those people that I looked up to from the very start of this whole podcasting journey, and it feels so cool that she's now on the show. If you guys haven't already and you love this episode, make sure to follow and leave a review wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you guys have an amazing week and that hopefully you don't get the cold like me. Now joining me on our playground, it's Gabby Uyoa. Hi, Gabby. I am so excited to have you on the show today. I am so in love with all that you do and I think that... What you're going to share with the listeners today is going to be really helpful. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. Um, it's Wednesday, so middle of the week. How's it been? Week's been good. Um, I was just talking about it with somebody this morning. I feel like this... Okay. So I went freelance like within the past almost two years now. It's been like a year and a half since I've been freelance. And... I feel like before, because my office environment was super hectic when I was working full-time in an office and none of my days looked the same, I felt like I had to translate that exact situation until like into my life now being a freelancer. And I'm slowly starting to realize that that's not the case. And even if I get one thing done for work or three things done for work that day, like I still accomplish something. So I feel like right now I'm really trying to focus on that. And I bring it up because I was literally talking about it this morning with the woman that does my eyebrows. I was getting my eyebrows done. And I was like, I feel like I have so much on my plate right now that I'm almost, your body goes into like fight or flight. And I feel like I'm in flight right now. And I'm just like in total paralysis where I don't want to do anything. And I'm just, I feel so lazy and I feel like I'm not doing anything because I just have so much to do that it's overwhelming. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I'm sure like you feel like that too because like you're in school and you do this too. Like that's a lot of balancing. Yeah. It's the last two weeks have been exams, AP exams. So I totally understand what you mean. Oh my God. Oh my God. You just gave me flashbacks. (laughs) All of my, my, I'm sending so much peace your way. (laughs) Yeah. It's almost over though. So that's good. Like, ever since I took my first one last week, like, I just have been not feeling that great. Like, But it's it's almost summer, right? Like, when when is school out for you? We get out middle of June, so a little bit later. So we have, like, six weeks left. And you're coming from California? 
yeah i'm in la right now nice okay so let's start at the very beginning so you grew up in miami what was that like amazing i mean i love i love miami a lot i think I feel very lucky and very blessed to have grown up there. It's a really, really special place. There's so much culture there. And I think it's something that I really took for granted until I left for college. I studied in Washington, D.C. And it wasn't until I left for school that I didn't realize like, oh, it's not normal for you to walk into a restaurant in the U.S. and everyone's just speaking to you in Spanish. Like, oh, it's not normal to be surrounded by all Cubans. I, so both my parents um, were born in Cuba and my mom's family, when they immigrated, they went to Puerto Rico and my dad's family went to Ecuador and then everyone sort of ended up in Miami. But I grew up with so much Latin culture around me. And because obviously there's so many Cubans in Miami. I mean, Miami's only what, 90 miles away from Cuba. And we were totally the majority there. And that's not the case everywhere in the world. So it was definitely something that I took for granted when I grew up there. And now it's the thing that I absolutely miss the most is just the culture, the people in Miami. Um, but I, I'm I'm very lucky that I get to go home a lot. So I'm actually going back home next week. And I think this is like the longest stretch of time that I haven't been to Miami since I moved to LA and it's been like four months. <laughs> and I'm like, my mom's calling me. She's like, hey, when are you, when are you coming back? And I'm like, okay, I guess. You insist. <laughs> if you insist, I'll come back home. <laughs> How does it compare to LA? I think it's there's a lot of similarities. So before I was living in LA, I so I went to college in DC and then I moved right after college, I moved to New York. And I had been living in New York every summer throughout college because I was doing internships there in the summers. And New York was wild. I mean, I knew it's where I had to be in terms of work because I started I, all of my internships were either in fashion or in media, like in magazines. And I knew I wanted to work in magazines. So it was pretty much like London or New York. And I didn't have the guts to move to London, even though I like loved London. That's where I studied abroad. But I moved to New York and it was just so hectic. It was definitely a place that I knew like, okay, I need to be here for work. It wasn't yeah, it was fun and all of my friends were there and that was nice. But it was definitely like, okay, there's a time limit on me living here. And I'd always wanted to move out to LA. I just thought that it would happen when I was like in my 30s. And then the pandemic hit. And obviously, I think like a lot of people, things were really put into perspective to me. And I did a bit of a career shift-ish and ended up quitting my job, which is a whole other story. And when I quit my job, I was like, okay, I'm not going back to New York. There's no, it's not happening. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to move out here. And I love it. It's it's a lot more similar to Miami in the sense that it's very much – it's a huge city with a ton of little suburbs. It, I mean, it's way bigger than Miami for sure, but it feels similar in that way where like I have my car here. I feel much more in control when I have a car. Whereas in New York, like you're always on the train or you're walking everywhere. And I think the lifestyle is a little bit slower. It's a bit easier. And that relates a lot back to Miami. And also, I mean, there's there's Latin culture both in New York. There's a giant Dominican and Puerto Rican population in New York. And there's obviously like a very big Mexican population here in LA. So I definitely still get those bits of Latin culture, which is really, really nice to be around. I love that. I would love to know more about your Cuban culture and kind of what you love most about it and like your favorite memories from your childhood. 
Oh my gosh. I mean, there's so much. I think, again, I think it's something that I totally took for granted and I didn't realize how ingrained in me Cuban culture really is. Um, I think, you know, I'll speak for my family and I think I don't want to speak for all Latins across the world, but I feel like this is a similarity that I feel like runs through our culture. And it's just this sense of community and this sense of just family and like closeness and coziness and fun. It's just like a very light and like fun culture. I find Caribbean Latins are just like, I don't know, we we hit different. We hit different. And I feel like that's why it made sense when my mom's family went to Puerto Rico because it's a similar it's a similar environment and it's the same reason why like when I go to the Dominican Republic, like I feel very at home there. I feel I don't know, that that type of culture is it's so warm, it's so inviting. I mean, the food's literally the best thing in the entire world. And yeah, it's definitely just like a cozy, familial and familiar feeling. And in Miami, it's literally all around you, which is which is so nice. But yeah, I mean, growing up, if I'm thinking back on my childhood, like obviously holidays stick out in my brain and like Christmas, for example, I remember like Thanksgiving and Christmas, the food that we would eat is not the food that like, I mean, I didn't have that many white friends growing up. Most of my friends were Latin. So I feel like our holidays looked similar, but like, it's funny now telling my friends out here, like the way that we do Christmas is like, okay, we have a cajachino, which is like, we literally roast like an entire pig and like a literal, like, smoke cooker thing. I'm probably butchering like how you actually are cooking it because I've never done it myself, but I watch it happen every year. Like we do that. We have like rice and beans. We have yuca. We have, you know, mojo. Like it's all like traditional Cuban picadillo, like all these Cuban foods. Like that's our Thanksgiving and that's our dinner. And like we maybe have a turkey, you know what I mean? But it's definitely, those are the main memories that I, that stick out in my brain from growing up just like with that culture. Yeah. I love that. Um, my Spanish teachers from the Dominican Republic. So I, that's cool. <gasps> really? Yeah. Wait, I love that. I love that because I feel like a lot of my Spanish teachers were from Spain and they teach a very different type of Spanish. Um, and uh, so exactly. I think that's awesome that your teacher is from the DR. So you majored in political science at in college. Why did you mm-hmm. choose that route? Basically, so... I remember when I was applying to college, I knew I wanted to work in magazines and I knew I, I, I thought at the time that it would be fashion and I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to write for fashion magazines, blah, blah, blah. And a part of me really wanted to go to school to study that and go to fashion school or go to a school like FITM or Parsons or FIT or just like a very specific art school. And then the more I thought about it, the more that that option didn't necessarily seem right for me personally, just because I didn't necessarily know. I I don't know. I was too scared to commit, which I think is so fair when you're applying to college. And that's the whole point, I feel like, of your freshman and sophomore year of college is to explore different majors and explore different subjects and figure out what you want to actually study. And I think if you're not going into a very specific field like medicine or law it doesn't really matter what you study or account, I guess accounting or things like that. But other than that, I feel like if you are going to school for a degree and I feel like nowadays it's there's so much more flexibility and, and college doesn't look the same and I feel like you don't need a degree in the same way that you used to back in the day. But – and also it's not like I was in college that long ago. I went into college. I graduated high school in 2014. So it's not like, like – I graduated college in 2018. So 
not that long ago. But I guess a long-winded way of answering your question. When I got to school, I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to study journalism. And my mom, for some reason, was like, you're not doing that. Sorry. I think it's because I didn't get into the journal. GW, the school that I went to, has an incredible journalism school. But I didn't get into that school. I got into the Arts and Sciences College, which is like the more general education. And she basically was like, if you're not in the journalism school, like you're not doing a journalism major. Like, sorry. Like, because it was just at my school, the journalism major was really easy unless you were in that specific school. So she was like, yeah, no, you're not doing it. And I was very lucky that my mother was paying for my college. So I was like, okay, I guess I'll listen to you in that capacity. And so she was like, you need to have a business minor. So I was like, fine. So I minored in business. And then PolySci came about because I was in DC. Obviously, there's that's everything that's around you. The professors were incredible in that department. GW has a really good PolySci department. And also, I was just like, you know what? I know, I think I know, I thought I knew at the time what I wanted to do with my life. I'm not going to study it. I'm going to work in this every summer. I'm going to intern. Why don't I just study something that I'm really interested in but don't know a ton about? And that for me was political science. And I really wanted to understand more about the world and the way that it functions and governments and sort of all that sort of thing. And it was sort of my way of like forcing myself to learn about it instead of getting lazy and, you know, not keeping up with it on my own time. So I'm really glad that I did that. It was really hard. Um, GW is definitely one of those colleges where it's what you make of it. I think there's some majors, like every school, where the major is like kind of a joke and like everyone would call it like, oh, you're like a camp GW. And then there were some majors that were impossible. And I'm not saying PolySci was the hardest one by any means, but it definitely was a challenge. I think I was like the only kid in my class. I remember I took a campaigns and elections class and I was the only kid in the class at the first day when the professor was like, what does everyone want to do when they graduate? I was the only one that said I didn't want to be a campaign advisor. And I was like, I want to work in fashion. And everyone just like <laughs> looked at me. But that's what made it fun for me because then I didn't take it so seriously. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I obviously studied and I worked hard, but I, I think I was able to enjoy it a little bit more because it wasn't, I don't know, some of the kids in my classes were like, they were sharks. And I was like, yeah, I'm not built for this. But it was really interesting. And it was a lot of reading and writing, which is what I preferred to do. So it did help me keep up with my writing skills and hone in on my writing in a different way that I think was helpful mm -hmm. in the long run. That's so interesting. You kind of gave yourself like flexibility in a way with mm. not like, I'm going down this exact path. Yeah. Because people think that if you pick a major then you have to just stay in that one no no path. I mean so many schools are different but I don't know I I know that I'm the type of person where I get really obsessive about things and especially when it comes to my career my career has always been something that I've just been like obsessed with since I was really little and I think a lot of children of immigrants can relate to that with your parents sort of pushing – a lot of parents push education and obviously education was really important for my mom um, and my dad, for my sister and I, but particularly it was my mom really pushed the work thing. Like you always need to have a job. You always – you know, you never need anyone else to take care of you. Like you're going to figure out how to take care of yourself type of thing. And um, what was my point of saying this? Oh, my point is like where is my train of thought going? But the point of that is that I put a lot of pressure on myself um, about knowing exactly what I wanted to do when I was like 15. And that's just not realistic. And I really want to encourage 
kids and like young adults to allow themselves the flexibility to enjoy what they're learning because usually when you enjoy what you're learning, you actually try harder. (laughs) So I know in high school it's different and even when you're younger, like you have more specific classes that you have to take and even in college there's a core curriculum. But I really encourage people if you're not like – again, if you're not going into a super hyper-specific field where you're doing medicine or law or accounting or whatever, explore. Take different classes that pique your interest. See what – feels right. And again, I'm not the one hiring people, so I don't know. I don't want to give bad advice, but I feel like a degree can mean so many different things these days that just like enjoy it. It's also a huge, huge privilege to get to go to college if that's what you choose to do. Yeah. College is so expensive now. It's No, it's out of control. It's literally out of control. It's ridiculous that something that in so many fields is required that it's not wildly more accessible. Exactly. And so a lot of people like just aren't choosing to go. Like they're yeah. working before. The- yeah, be- yeah. Yeah. And not only do people do that literally because they have to sustain their lives, but also, I mean, there's so many people in different like creative careers and that take creative paths that working is your degree. Like that's, you're getting a degree basically out of based on your experience. Like my mom and I always say that, I mean, she really says it more than I do. Cause I remember growing up, she was like, you're going to get a master's degree. You're going to get a master's degree because she got hers. And I was like, mm, school's never been my thing. I do it because it's, you know, getting me from point A to point B. I love learning, but like test, it's just like, not nah, that, that part's not my thing. And I was like, yeah, mm, hey, to bring it to you, mom. I'm not, I'm, the minute I'm done with college, like, bye. Like, I'm not going back to school in at least a traditional sense. Who knows? Maybe I'll like take a course somewhere. I'm not opposed to that ever. But we always said that like my first job out of college working at Architectural Digest was your master's. Like that that was a, that was your graduate degree. That was like a – it threw you into the real world. And so I think that people working, that's, that's their degree. They're actually putting into practice what they want to do. Yeah. I was talking about this with my friends and how in college you do you learn a lot of stuff but you really get to experience it if you do like if you go out into the real world and you actually try to get a job or like an internship or something like that and it's just so weird how like this is kind of off topic but how like your high school counselors just want you to go to college like that's the goal and like to graduate and then you know go to like more school after which I think is so interesting yeah I think it it pigeonholes it pigeonholes people a lot and I think also puts an incredibly unnecessary pressure on kids Mm -hmm, definitely so your first job was at architectural digest which is amazing so how did you get there Thanks. So yeah, that was my first, I call it my first real job (laughs) after college. Um, But like I said, I always was obsessed with magazines. I always really wanted to work in magazines since I was really young. And I had my sight set on Connie Nast, any magazine owned by Connie Nast since I was literally in middle school. I was obsessed with it. And So basically, the way that I got there is I just – I constantly had internships that were in or around the field that I wanted to work 
in in the summers and I always talk about this, especially like when I go on podcasts and different interviews, like it was a really big privilege that I got to do those internships because the majority of internships in media or in fashion are unpaid, which is absurd. And I don't, I'm not from New York and I I live in New York. So the fact that I, you know, I was able to take an unpaid internship and be living in New York for the summers was a giant privilege. Um, But I worked really, really, really hard at those internships. And I think one of the best skills that I implemented into that experience was I just was really good at networking and really good at keeping the connections once I made them. So I always kept in touch with my my bosses from my previous internships. I like kept them posted what I was doing in the summers and just like always made sure that they, you know, remembered me and obviously did a really good job when I was working there, even if I didn't like my job. I think that's like a big thing, especially with internships. Like a lot of internships are going to suck and a lot of mine did, but especially in that industry, like there's a lot of grunt work. It's not glamorous. It's not fun. Like I, it was the most manual labor that I've ever done in my entire life were my fashion internships, which is just a whole other thing. But I still had a smile on my face every day. I was still, you know, really professional and did my job and stayed over time and kept in touch with my bosses. And I think that that sort of set me aside and sort of set me up for success because once I was able to, you know, get to Conde Nast, I had really a great list of references to show them and people who would totally vouch for me. So the way that I got to Conde to answer your question is I moved to New York, I think like a month after I graduated. And I remember telling my mom, I was like, okay, this isn't like a normal career where, you know, I had friends who were going into finance or, you know, they were working at law firms and they had job offers from the previous summer internship. And that's just not the way that media works. And I told my mom that I was like, you just need to trust me. Just give me a couple months. Like, please just trust me. I'll find a job. But like, I I need to move there before I have the job because I know that when I get the job, I'm going to start like two days later. So bless my mother's heart. She is the most supportive woman in the whole world when it comes to anything career related. And she was like, go do it. Do what you need to do. So I moved to New York without a job and immediately made finding a full-time job my full-time job. And during that, I was um, freelancing a little bit. So I would find random jobs. I did a little bit of freelance for the New York Times and like help them out with some Fashion Week stuff. And also it was Fashion Week was happening like in September. So there was like a lot of random work right before and during that time that I was able to like get my hands on. And basically right when I moved there, I was able to get in touch with somebody from HR. And that was – I got their contact like via – actually funny enough, my ex-boyfriend's aunt used to work at Connie Nast. Like she didn't work there anymore, but she used to work at I think Allure. And so she put me in touch with someone at HR and I met with them and he was like, listen, we don't have any jobs right now, but I like you. I like your hustle. I think you like your resume is great. I think you'll, you know, do well here. Just keep in touch. We don't have anything right now, but just keep in touch. And I was like, say less, like say less, sir. So that's when I started taking on all of these like random freelance jobs with like fashion companies or like the times or whatever. And like every couple of weeks I would send this man, this poor man. I don't know if he still works there. I would send him another email being like, Hey, here's my updated resume. Like here's what I've been up to. Obviously stalking their work day, which is like their 
server that has all of the new jobs coming in, applying to everything that I saw. And like a lot of these jobs were literally like in closets and like physical literal closets, like a beauty closet or a fashion closet. And I was like, I will take whatever I can get. So one day I had I was about to interview for a job at Vanity Fair, which is another magazine owned by them. And it was for a fashion closet assistant. So I literally would have been in the closet. And I was like about to interview or I had just interviewed and I got a call from somebody else in HR who was like, hey, so-and-so, the original person that I met with, gave me your resume. They think you're great. Do you know who Amy Astley is? And Amy Astley is the editor-in-chief of Architectural Digest, but I knew who she was because she started Teen Vogue and ran it for 16 years. And I used to watch The Hills and like the girls on The Hills used to work for Amy. And so Amy was on The Hill. Like I was obsessed with Amy. Like I knew exactly who she was. I was like, um, yes. They're like, well, she's interviewing for an assistant position. And we think, you know, we'd love to interview for it. Can you come in? And this was on a Friday. They were like, can you come in Monday? I was like, done. I went in Monday. I interviewed with like three different people before I got to Amy in one day, interviewed with Amy. And I, by the time I got to Amy, like all of the interviews before that were very typical interview questions. And then by the time I got to Amy, it was more just like, okay, you've passed the test with everybody who's like actually going to question you. And with her, it was more of like a vibe check. Do you know what I mean? Just because obviously being someone's assistant, you're engraved into their life and you're together all the time that she just wanted to make sure that we got along and like we vibed and what my interests were and where I saw my career going and, you know, all those sort of things. And so I met with her. That was a Monday. And then I got hired that Friday. So that same week I got hired that Friday. And then I started the following Monday. Like it literally happened in a week, which is exactly what I knew was going to happen. And then I was there for, I think, exactly two years. Wow. That's incredible. Now you're freelance. When did that move happened for you after two years at Architectural Digest? When did you decide that it's time to move on? So when I went into the job, my old boss, you know, made it pretty clear that one of her biggest, you know, um, one of her biggest things, I guess, with her assistants that she really wants them to have the career that they want. She never wants someone to stay an assistant forever, which I think is amazing. Because so many people are like, I don't have time to retrain someone. Like, no, no, no. You're going to be here for at least five years or whatever. But she always really was like, no, no, no. You need to have your own career. What do you want to do? How can I help you? So I was already under the impression that I wouldn't stay in that role for more than two years. It was usually like around a year and a half to two years that people would transition out of being her assistant. So I kind of had that in my brain already. And before the pandemic, I thought I would just go to another magazine within Condé Nast. I thought I would go to Vogue. I thought I'd go to Teen Vogue. Um, I knew I didn't want to stay at AD just because while I adore the people and I love my old boss, it just wasn't the type of content that I wanted to be creating. It's not what I wanted to be writing about. And so I thought I would just go to another magazine and like be a digital editor and work my way up. Like if you would have asked me 10 years ago what my dream job was, I was like an editor-in-chief of like Vogue. You know what I mean? Like I wanted like I wanted to be in a mentor. Like I wanted that job. And once the pandemic hit, I feel like I was at a point in my career where I felt like I like had seen too much. Do you know what I mean? I just like I saw too much behind the curtain. I knew too much of what was going on. And that was like the privilege of being her assistant was like, you know everything that's going on. And I just slowly started to realize like the messages I want to send, the, the stories I want to tell aren't going to get done here right now. 
maybe they will later. But right now, just in the way that the company was functioning, I was like, "Mm, I don't think this is for me. And also, like, I wanted to explore other avenues and other talents of mine. You know, like my Amy was the first person to tell me, like, you need to be on camera. Like, you need to be doing, you need to translate what you're doing into being on camera, whether it's on video, whether it's a podcast. Like, she put that in my head. And I was like, wait, I never even saw that of myself. But like, that makes so much sense because. When I was little, I would always look at like – I was like obsessed with E! News and like TV hosts and I was like, wait, I want to do that. Like that's so fun. So I wanted to explore these other avenues and that just wasn't going to be an option if I was working full-time at a magazine, like at least in that company because of a million reasons. Um, so I decided I think in like August of 2020, I was like, yeah, okay, I'm going to resign when my two years are up. And at that point I had already like, I gave her months of notice to like, you know, allow to like find someone great. Cause it was a really stressful time for everyone. I think at that point, like we were learning how to function remotely, um, for the most part. But yeah, I, I, my last day was in October of 2020. I started my job like the first week of October of 2018. So it was like literally exactly two years. And yeah, that's how that happened. Being in such like a high level job and then going freelance, like how has that kind of impacted your mental health? And I mean, you talked about it a little bit earlier kind of, but I would love to yeah, know a bit more. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, there's pros and cons. I think it really helped my mental health in the way that being my own boss has allowed me to see my life very differently. And it's allowed me to recognize that there are different paths and that if I veer from the path that I thought was for me when I was 15, 16 years old, that's okay. And that's been the really beautiful part of it. It's also brought a lot of amazing people into my life who really inspire me and encourage me and help me think that way. Because I think when I first went freelance, while it was really freeing in one way, it was really scary in the other way. I was leaving a company that I literally had worked my whole life to work at. It was my dream. And I was choosing to leave there. I was like, what if this is the dumbest decision I've ever made in my entire life? And like, I'll never forget like that Zoom with like everybody on the call when I was telling them that I was leaving. And like my boss, my old boss was really supportive of me. But like, I just remember like most people, when they leave, they'd be like, oh, I'm going to go work at Vogue or I'm going to go work at Vanity Fair. And I was just like, yeah, I'm going freelance. And they were like, oh, okay, like good for you, you know? And so it was really scary. And I think in the beginning, I was really equating my productivity to my worth. And that's something that I'm still working on. And we literally started the conversation talking about that and just how what I put out does not equate who I am. It doesn't equate my success. It doesn't equate, you know, my worth, period. And I I think because I've had the privilege to turn my, you know, like hobbies and like my loves into a career, while that's really fun and makes my work fun, it also makes me feel sometimes like a shell of a human where I'm like, am I just my work? Like, do I, like someone asked me like, what are your hobbies the other day? And I was like, I don't, have any because any hobby I had I monetized like I figured out a way to like turn it into a job which is just like not always the smartest thing to do 
because it kind of like sucks the joy out of some stuff. Like I now like don't like writing that much. <laughs> like I only like writing. Like I only like writing when I'm like journaling. <laughs> like I hate it when I have to like turn in an article. I'm like, this is. The, I feel like I'm writing a book report. Like I hate this. And so I'm just like trying to find the joy in <laughs> things again. The detrimental part for my mental health was just the what am I doing with my life? Am I only worth my work? And if I'm not getting that much work, if I'm not – because with freelance, like you're getting as much work as you're trying to get. Like it's up to you. Obviously, there's people that bring work to you and that happens, but it's like the amount of money that you're making and like the output that you have every month is dependent on like how much you're hustling. And so on some months where I would, you know, do less than other months, like it was really difficult for me to be like, what am I – what am I doing with my life? And like, why am I not wildly successful? And like, I have to understand that success has so many different definitions. And like, I am very successful. And like, I am working towards a goal and I am doing things that, you know, bring me joy. And like, I'm building something that I'm really proud of. But it's something that I constantly have to remind myself of because I, I don't know, I feel like I always think I should be 10 steps ahead of where I am. Does that make sense? Another thing, yeah. It's hard. I was thinking, like, especially when you're in high school, you see all these people who who have a plan of what they want to do. And then when you don't, it's like, oh, I should get on this or else, you know, I'll fall behind or something. And another thing with the hobbies, I think for me, when someone asks, (laughs) my friends always ask, you know, I always wonder what you do after school. And I'm like what do I do after school? Like homework? Like, what are you talking about? Like, this is so sick that you do this. Like literally, I knew, I knew that you were young, but like, I thought you were in college when you were emailing me. Really? Yeah. Like the fact that you're even like, I'm sorry, know how to draw, like the way that you were speaking to me on an email, I was like, oh, this, this is, she's a woman that like is in college. (laughs) That's funny. Like seriously. And it's, there was a, there was something that I wanted to say to you about Oh, that also, like, I can't even imagine I was telling you. So I have a half-brother, and he has a daughter that's around. She's a little younger, a year younger than you. And I always see it with her and with my nephew. I'm like, Instagram was just becoming a thing when I was in high school. Like, I cannot – and it still wasn't – There, like, the influencers that existed when I was in high school were, like, these major influencers that, like, it's nothing like it is now. It was like there were, like, 10 of them. Do you know what I mean? And – I just can't even imagine the pressure that you guys have on you as kids to just constantly be seeing the things that we see on social media, especially when like something that I felt a lot when I moved to LA was like people find success. And again, success means a million different things. I guess I'll say it this way. People get really rich at a really young age these days. And I'm like, and money does not always equate happiness. I think for me in my brain, money equates freedom, but and like access and things like that. But like, and also side note, like an opportunity to like lift each other up. Cause that's the thing too, is I feel like a lot of people have like one track minds and I'm like, no, 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 no. If I'm going down this path and I'm working my ass off to get there, like you better believe I am pulling the like 10 women behind me, like with me, like they're, they're coming with, you know what I mean? But yeah, I just, I can't even imagine like that has to be really stressful for you guys. It's stressful for me, and I'm, like, not even in school. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I feel like there's a lot more 
people who are talking about you know how negative it can get especially for people for young people and Mm -hmm. i i really don't know i think i've thought about it a lot and we always talk about it like with my friends and how people will you know talk to each other through like your social media but then when they see each other in person like they don't talk to each other and yeah i just think that's so weird like i actually you would think that i would be on like instagram but i'm not and the one the one thing is that again like people from school they'll they'll talk to each other through there but then they don't talk to each other in real life and it's so weird and i would not i don't want to experience so bizarre yeah wow that's so you don't have social media i do i have tiktok but like no one can find that (laughs) that is amazing i'm that's awesome and i hope you like you know keep doing that like that's really cool that you are able to like have that clarity and understand like "Mm, this isn't good for me i don't really want to be a part of this what are kind of some things that you want to see in the media when it comes to talking about stigmatized topics maybe about social media and just i feel like there's so much going on in the world right now so kind of what are you seeing and your thoughts there is so much going on in the world right now i feel like after the pandemic and like in the beginning of the pandemic people's tolerance for somebody who has nothing to say but has a platform is like gone (laughs) it's like get out of here and i'm not saying that every single person with a following needs to you know be like the next you know activist because I think a lot of people, people, like times people just have no idea what they're talking about. And in those cases, I'm like, let's just not, you know, like let's just not give people misinformation. But I do, I, I feel good in a sense of because that tolerance for staying quiet is so low, people are so much more open to having conversations about stigmatized topics. People are so much more open because they're like tired, like they're fed up, especially people within those communities that have been marginalized this entire time. Like this is nothing new. It's just now people are are starting to speak up. And so that gives me hope in the sense of like people aren't going away. People aren't people aren't staying quiet, you know? And so when it comes to these topics, whether it's, you know, we're talking about relationships, we're talking about sex, we're talking about mental health, we're talking about, you know, the rights of a woman's body, we're talking about racism, like all of these topics that have exist and have marginalized and hurt communities for so forever, you know, it, it gives me hope that like, hopefully things are actually going to change and we're at least paving a path for the generation to come because it really is like you guys that are gonna take over the world like literally like I see Gen Z and I like I have fear like in a good way I'm like oh my god you guys are really powerful <laughs> like it's it's wild so like it gives me I'm like I don't even look yeah it would be great if I could see this in my lifetime but if I don't like I want to at least hope that the planet and the world is like a little yeah, bit better for sure when I, I leave mean, than when I got here. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, everything kind of, I think all of us, like our generation kind of gained, like we had to think about t- these topics a little earlier than most people. Than totally. Older I mean, you guys are taught about, I mean, I can't speak for like 
so many schools in different states because we know that education and history is not taught properly <laughs> literally anywhere. But like the fact that you guys even learn about global warming, mm-hmm. like that's just, that wasn't exactly. a thing. I mean, people still don't believe that <laughs> climate change is so, real, but so crazy. <laughs> it's a whole other conversation. <laughs> yeah. Truly. Uh-huh. So what is your advice for anyone who kind of doesn't know what they want to do with their life and the direction that they want to go in or just like generally like someone who feels a little lost right now because mm-hmm. I feel like that's a lot oh my of God, that's such a good question no it's such a good question and I wish I had a better response for you I think I'm just trying to think back on like the things that caused me the most stress and what I wish I could have told myself And I think the main thing is learning to hear yourself and trust yourself and have like a deep love for yourself. Because I think that with that foundation, you are able to go so much further in life and you're able to go in the direction you actually want to go in because you can hear yourself clearly. You know, you can hear yourself think. Woman that I follow, who's I love her, and I'm like so glad that I've like gotten to meet her. And her name is Chrissy Rutherford. And she started her career in magazines. She's a writer and a journalist and an entrepreneur and like amazing and super big mental health um, advocate. And she literally posted a reel today about imposter syndrome. And she was like, imposter syndrome doesn't exist in my vocabulary because I believe that all of the opportunities that were presented to me were presented to me for a reason. And like the universe or God or whatever you believe in granted that to me. And now it's up to me whether or not I'm going to take that decision or I'm going to take that option and make it my own. But it wasn't presented to me at a coincidence. It was presented to me because I have the capability to actually do it. And I actually have worked hard enough to get to that place where I deserve it. And she was also talking about how like I, she was saying like imposter syndrome has a lot more to do with the environment that we're in, the work environment or the school environment rather than with ourselves. Because a lot of places have these mentality of like, you're lucky to be here. Or like, oh, if you don't want the job, like there's 500 other people behind you that will happily take it for half the price. And I think that's just a load of crap, honestly. And it's a scare tactic and it's a way to keep people feeling down. And it's a way to disempower people. And so I really just – if anyone's feeling lost, if anyone's feeling like they just have no idea what they want to do with their life, um, I don't think anybody does. So you're not alone. You're literally never alone. And I really want to stress what I said earlier of the importance of hearing your own voice and trusting it because the moment that I was able to hear myself think clearly for the first time, and I think I was 22 when that happened, my life changed. And I was able to just make such better decisions for myself and I just became such a happier person. Especially when you're young, right? Like I remember specifically in high school, it's like I couldn't make a decision without asking like 10 of my friends. Same. And if like they didn't agree, I wouldn't do it. And then if I would do it, mm-hmm. I'd get like in trouble with them or like, do you know what I mean? So it's just like, no, yeah, do what makes you happy. As long as you're not hurting people, which I definitely made mistakes growing up that hurt other people and that I learned from and I grew from. And like, you're always going to make mistakes. But as long as you're not like actively trying to hurt people, do what makes you happy. 
I hope any of that made sense. <laughs> I did not expect such a great response. Oh my God, thanks. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I mean, just everything. I have no words. Oh my God, stop. I have no. no words for you. I'm like literally in awe of you. I think you're so cool. I think the fact that you're doing this podcast is actually incredible. Like you are going to go so far in life. Like I cannot wait for like the next, even like two years to just like see where you are. So please like keep in touch with me and like keep me posted on your life because I think you're going to go like you're going to do such amazing things. And I think you're such a great example for not only your generation, but like people older than you. Like, I, like I'm looking at you and I'm like, oh my God, that like imagine, like I wish I had the courage to be like her when I was younger and have conversations that I wanted to have when I was younger. So I think it's really cool what you're doing. And I'm very honored that you asked me to be here today. <laughs> no problem. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Our Playground. If you enjoyed it and you love the show and you haven't already, make sure to follow and leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. I really appreciate it. You can also connect with us on TikTok at Our Playground Pod and with me at Ali Fan with two N's. Once again, I'm your host, Ali Fan, and you are listening to Our Playground.